Hey everyone, I just want to say that my novel, A Breaking Report, is finally available on Amazon. That's A Breaking Report, R A P P O R T. And now with the added bonus of being completely free if you've signed up to the Kindle Unlimited program. Now, if you prefer the touch of paper, then I have a hardcover and a paperback edition for those living abroad. But unfortunately, only the paperback edition for Australians due to the anti Australian discrimination. Thanks, Amazon. Regardless, I just want to say thank you for your support as this novel has taken five years to finally complete and it has been a labor of love through every step of the way. All right, now on to the podcast. Three, two, one, let's jam. For every podcast, there's usually a steep decline in attention after the first few seconds as listeners decide whether or not they're actually interested. So if you're going to leave, please let me leave you with a single thought that has crossed my mind recently. I think men are terrified and obsessed with women. And I think this applies to all men because I think all men inherently understand that despite what economic, social, religious or physical clout they possess. A beautiful woman can basically level them with a single glance. That's probably why men have tried and still try to regulate women's sexuality, whether it's Sharia law or abortion. Subconsciously, it's probably a defense mechanism. On the other hand, I think the opposite is also true, and that women are both terrified and captivated by masculine strength and vigor, and sometimes, and unfortunately, even the victim of these traits. I think the fable of Beauty and the Beast is one of the best representations of the split in the female psyche. The awareness that men are dangerous, and yet still the desire to tame this aggression into something more productive and stable. In today's 24-7 news cycle landscape, there's a lot of discussions about culture wars, and more relevant for today's podcast, the gender war. But in reality, I think this tension between the genders have always existed as men and women try to navigate their primal desires. Alright, well now I've recounted the basis of Jungian psychoanalysis for you. Let's use that as a launching point for today's podcast with returning superstar Giorgio, lead singer of Pyramid Mission. Check them out on Spotify and Instagram. Why is Andrew Tate so popular? Why have words like incel and sigma male entered our vocabulary? And why do so many young men consistently feel drawn to these dark and edgy anti-heroes that seem repulsed by society? I'm talking about Joker, Travis Bickle from Taxi Driver, any modern version of Batman, Shinji from Evangelion Neon Genesis, Patrick Bateman from American Psycho, and fittingly, the nameless protagonist from Drive. Now, some might say these references are just ironic jokes meant to signal and scare, but let me ask you, how many times do you have to repeat an action before it stops becoming ironic? Incels and sigma males are pretty difficult words to understand on the internet, mainly because any mention of them seem to create such a polarized response. Some people detest them and see them as the last vestiges of toxic masculinity, and others find comfort in these archetypes, seeing them as the final barrier against an uncaring, feminized world. So. Let's define what they are before we start. Incels is short for involuntary celibate, which basically means anyone who's without a romantic partner despite really longing for such romance. Sigma males are slightly different, as they are not really incapable of romantic love, but rather see women as agents who will lead them astray. Think of Genesis and Adam and Eve, and uh, teaser by the way, we will be returning to the Bible as Georgia and I discuss what might be the first incel slash sigma male character in Abrahamic religions. Regardless, there's a fundamental similarity between both groups, incels and sigma males, and that is a deep disgust for the standard gender relationships in a world where feminist ideas are relatively accepted in mainstream circles and a mistrust for traditional roles of masculinity, aka the American dream with a white picket fence, beautiful wife and two kids. 
So what does this mean for the modern man? Are we just damaged and jaded beyond repair? Or will masculinity be able to realign itself with a view that sees itself as a pillar of society? Join us and find out. How many times have I had you here? At this place specifically or on the at, podcast? At, on this podcast. Can we count them up? Alright, episode one. Episode one. We had f- skydiving. And we had... Online. Tarot cards. Yeah, tarot cards online, episode two. Vagabond. Vagabond with Nick. That's number three. Oh, and yo, I've got to tell you... Because of Nick's place. I've got to tell you a story about Vagabond. Okay. So, I won't get too sidetracked. There's this guy who messaged me. A shout out to Sarija. He messaged me, a few, uh, I think a few weeks after the Vagabond podcast... And I was like, hey man, like I listened to the Vagabond podcast three times. <laughs> I love your stuff. Like, oh, that's awesome, hey man, dude. shout out to you. And he also said, he's like, one of your friends, which is you, <gasps> said something which was like really dope. And he said something like, you said the line, which I still think is like, you know, one of the best lines in the, in the entire podcast. In order to embody Musashi, you have to hug Marhachi. Bro, f- yeah. I thought that was a dope, <laughs> dope line in the moment. And, you know, even post recording i'm like oh that's super i'm dope, glad man. people in the world are f-ing digging the energy man that's, that's mad that's <laughs> mad appreciate 100%. the love from C- cj what was his name sarija sarija mm-hmm. appreciate it sarija also and, and then afterwards i had you for the podcast which hasn't been released because post book mm. i'm going to release that post book secret podcast so this secret podcast stay tuned so this is the fifth time this is episode five episode five man oh, i need to get out, new, i need to get new friends that's what it means <laughs> so I sent you a message, I think, a, no, two weeks ago, and the, do you remember the image I sent you? The image which started this. Yeah, I, I vaguely remember, wait, it was, it was a bunch of men in a car, and it was, it was Tyler Durden, mm-hmm. Ryan Gosling's character in Drive, mm-hmm. Patrick Bateman, mm-hmm. was there a fourth one? Patrick Bateman, by the way, is from American Psycho, for anyone who hasn't watched it super violent film and it talks about just like the facade of like the american business culture in the 80s and 90s so we had patrick bateman we had ryan gosling driver his name is actually known as driver because he's, oh, okay. he's, he's never he's actually never given a name oh, which right. i think adds to his like appeal like he's like the everyman there was tyler durden as travis bickle as well travis That's bickle right, from one. taxi driver de niro's character in Ta- yeah, taxi driver yeah. i think there was also from memory there was shin was shinji there when from Spike? evangelion i I, think... <laughs> I don't recall but okay i don't think so okay i don't think so i could be wrong but i, I th- we should make this meme just the the bloody the picture of the podcast everyone listening to it and just be like <laughs> These idiots don't remember anything. <laughs> and, and probably getting it all wrong. And the and the point of that image was like they were all like silent, reserved because it was like a dark car. It's not like a like a hippie car, like a Scooby Doo van. They're all like it's a dark car. Lights turn off, and all of them are like basically looking in different directions. And mm. I remember sending you this image, and then your response was like, "Is this not the perfect representation of like the the alienated male?" Mm, and mm. and that got me thinking like i'm not sure if you've noticed this online a few years ago i saw so actually even still now but <coughs> i would say to a lesser extent there's a lot of shinji posting like oh you know like uh, oh that's me or like you know it'd be me or like you know mm. my feel when and and now there is such an explosion of drive he's everywhere that ryan yeah. gosling yeah and also ryan gosling characters from blade runner 277 He's mm. also there. You know, Patrick Bateman has really made a resurgence in the last two years in the meme community. And it seems to be a few reoccurring archetypes. And for anyone who, like, you know, is unfamiliar with that word, basically, like, and uh, do, do you want to explain it? Archetype? Yeah, look. In a simple, like... Uh, in, in a literary context, because I think that's the least abstract way I can put it. An archetype is just, like, basically a type of character that constantly occurs. So, for example, the valiant hero... The, uh, the damsel in distress. Mm-hmm. And there's also the Jungian definition or, you know, the symbolic definition of archetype where it's that there are psychological types that exist within the mind and, you know, we sort of identify with them or we, we find resonance with them. So those would be, I guess, in some ways actually are quite the same as a literary archetype. So they could be things like the valiant hero or the damsel in distress mm-hmm. or other ones, the trickster yep. or, you know, the, the magician, the wizard. And essentially... In a literary context, they're, you know, they're characters in, in books or, or movies or whatever. In the context of the psyche, they're sort of 
these personae that we, or not personae, but they're, they're sort of energies that flow through us and that we, we resonate with and that we find a sense of sort of like a solidarity within. Mm-hmm. It, so I would say like a very simplified version of this is just that repeated images or repeated... Think of like an RPG when you can select certain classes, like a repeated class. So mm, you mentioned yes, that's good way to put it. Valiant Hero. So an example of that is like Link from Zelda. That's one of your favorite examples. Oh, lovely. You know, tailor-made for you. Another example is like Ash Ketchum, like, you know, the, or Goku, like these bright heroes which like journey forth and try to in, improve their skills against the odds. So like, you know, th- those are basically what, what we mean by like archetypes. And as I was looking at this image, the fact that someone actually photoshopped this together is ridiculous. It's actually like funny. But yeah. <laughs> apart from that, because I they're won't. trying to say something. Yeah. Like, they're trying to say something about modern masculinity, which brings me to my question. Modern day men, are you okay? <laughs> are you guys all right? <laughs> are you doing well, man? <laughs> all right, boys. Vibe check. All yours. Let's go. <laughs> How we doing? <laughs> there was this YouTube. There was this YouTuber called Natalie Wynn, and she made the joke: Can a gender, which is whose target de- demographic for like alpha protein yogurt, really be doing okay? <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's pretty good. That's a good one. Not just average yogurt, protein yogurt. <laughs> <laughs> Bonus points if you call it protein, protein, you know? So, and as I was looking at this image, once again, the fact that this is like a repeated symbol, repeated characters, mm. and, and also the absurdity of someone actually photoshopping these characters together, it got me thinking. These characters share something very similar in in relation to each other and the, i know this is a youtube channel that we both love which is is it is he called memes matter meme or analysis me, meme analysis meme, memes it. matter is his uh, is his tagline okay yeah there we go shout out to meme analysis shout out hey man if you ever want to come on the pod <laughs> let me know brother so meme analysis so basically uh, this sounds like a joke and a lot of people and i don't i don't necessarily blame them because like the internet has like turned memes and like certain archetypes certain repeated figures into like kind of jokes but he looks at meme analysis, that is. He looks at certain characters and he looks at certain images and he deconstructs why these images keep popping up in our psyche. So, I also, from memory, maybe I'm wrong, was the Joker part of that image as well? I don't think he was there, mm-hmm. but you I can argue he's part of the part of that sort of character archetype mm-hmm. especially we're talking about like Arthur Fleck you know mm-hmm. in the Joker movie 100% not the Dark Knight Joker he's got less crossover but definitely the, the one in, in, in the, the Joker movie mm-hmm. for, for sure. sure we said for sure at the same time that's, that's cute man <laughs> <laughs> we're real quick we're, we're a cute bunch of guys <laughs> and dude they've got a lot of like similarities between them okay mm. I'll name one and, I'll, and hopefully you know uh, you can add another one and maybe yeah, we can expand on it Firstly, they all are very socially awkward and they're marginalized from society in a way which like they're not doing a job which is like recognized and they are, I would say, marginalized economically. Maybe not Patrick Bateman, but there's an alienation from their job. There is no love in their craft. Yeah, I think I think there's there's the alienation is a broad thing. There's a few things there that I, I think I feel like you said don't they, they they don't share. Like Patrick Bateman isn't awkward. Tyler Durden's not. Tyler Durden's probably the most charismatic one out of all of them. You I know think. what? I have to admit, you know, it's funny. Like you haven't watched Drive. I haven't watched Taxi Driver. And part of the reason oh, is true. because okay. I feel like Taxi. Dri- okay, I know Taxi Driver is like a classic and stuff. I just feel like I'm like I have to be in a certain mindset. I'm just not in that mindset. So, yeah. Fair enough. No, dude, I mean, it's, I, I love Taxi Driver. When you get into it, when you're in that mindset, whatever you think that may, you know, it may be, check it out. And I, you know, I don't love it in the way that I uh, relate to Travis Bickle. I just think it's a great depiction of like the human psyche. And it's just, it's a beautiful movie as far as like the cinematography, the sound design, the just the colors, man. It's, just a, it's a good looking movie. It's like a watercolor painting that moves. Oh, I, um, like I like it. I don't want to say too much more plot wise. I want to spoil it for you or anyone else listening, but... If, if anyone else out there hasn't seen Taxi Driver, you know, <coughs> I, I totally recommend it. So, so like, oh yeah, look, yeah, Taxi Driver is a beautiful movie. It almost looks like a watercolor painting in motion, and you know, the sound design, the art design, the color, the, the texture, the, the pacing of it, it's all, it's very beautiful. It's very, it's a very lovely movie. Mm-hmm. Totally recommend it to anyone watching this podcast, listening to this podcast, uh, and obviously to yourself as well. And, and the thing is, like, 
Okay, so me and Georgia are both like huge art nerds, okay? Oh yeah, big time. Big time. And we... There's like, there's more to art than just like, people decide to depict, depict certain ideas. There's like certain reasons, certain factors, certain outside influences, which causes the certain images to be repeated. And I think it's quite telling. And I know this sounds like it's completely out of left field, but if you compare the protagonist, okay, maybe it's not fair to compare like a one-off protagonist, but if you compare the protagonist of, let's see, what's Ferris Bueller Day Off? Mm. Have you watched that film? I haven't actually. No, okay. I haven't seen it. But uh, do you know I, I know, I know. Like I've seen like a few of the scenes. Mm-hmm. I know the oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know what it's about. Um, Cultural osmosis has yeah, like <laughs> exactly. shown me what's going on there. Yeah, and I think when I watched it, so I watched it in like 2020, like 40 years after it was released. The only thing I could think of was like how much it reflected the 1980s mm. and how much it reflected 1980s America, because America at that point had had uh, Ronald Reagan who was just such a communicator of like valor and he was just so charismatic and also the fact that like the Soviet Union was like falling apart so mm. American self-confidence had just reached like a like a like a height that it probably has never hit again and I think this is really reflective of like Ronald Reagan mm. <clears throat> on the other hand the fact that we see the modern equivalent of men as like Travis Pickle as mm. Patrick Bateman as even Shinji, if we if we were to look at anime, Shinji, Spike Spiegel, these characters get repeated so much as like, and that's re- Shinji from Evangelion. Yes, sir. Yeah. And and these these characters get repeated so much about the modern male that I think, as I was saying, I think there there are like there are like repeated aspects, and I'll give you one. So if for anyone who's watched Drive, by the way, great film, and even I definitely I, that's one I have to see as well for sure. E- yeah. Even uh, Taxi Driver, I know that the the main characters they never really end up with like a girlfriend or wife, mm. right? Mm. Is that that I'm pretty sure that's true in in Taxi Driver as well. There's a similarity I see between all these characters, which by the way I just want to emphasize a lot of modern men. Whether it's like jokingly or like they're actually serious, they 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 either look up to or they feel some sort of empathetic connection towards these men. These characters, such as Patrick Bateman, Tyler Durden, Driver from Drive, they don't have like relationships. They don't have mm. stable relationships. Mm. Yes, they might have, they might you know like have romantic like they might sleep with someone, but there is no like wife or there is no girlfriend and yet the fact that a lot of people like a lot of men relate to that what does that say about like modern masculinity and what does that say about like the dating culture yeah i think that yeah it definitely implies there's a level of like alienation not just from masculinity itself but also from you know the male relationship to the feminine towards women you know but i think even more broadly just towards the idea of the feminine in abstract as a whole and when i say that i mean to say that like I think that these guys are usually quite hyper-masculine. They're quite virile. Like, they're agents. They're, they're actors. They, they do big things in the world. There's something about these characters that is always romantic. Even if they are alienated, and there are parts of them that, you know, you might see as losers, they always have a level of agency which makes them respectable. And I think, I, you know, I'm not necessarily saying this is the entire function of the character, and they're not all supposed to be aspirational. But I think for people who resonate with them, particularly for these older films, I like, think they like, are aspirational. In some a of sense. them, some of them are. Some of them are. Like I think some of them are play with that. There's an ultimate like there's an ultimate desire to make them not aspirational in most cases. I think most of these stories, and if I break them one by one, I can't speak to Drive because I haven't seen it. But look, let's say uh, Taxi Driver. You're not supposed to resonate with Travis Bickle. He's supposed to be like a lunatic. Mm-hmm. Um, Fight Club. That one's more cut and dry. Fight Club's interesting because you're not supposed to resonate with Tyler Durden. I, I, want, he's, I want to be Tyler Durden. Oh, dude, Tyler, <laughs> Tyler he was, he's, he's my favorite. I want to be honest, right, man. Cards, I want to be Tyler. <laughs> cards in the f- table here. All right, he's my favorite one out of the four. Dude, I, man. I, I, I thought he was like the coolest guy when I was like... Hey, Brad Pitt, if you, want, if you want to come on... <laughs> yeah, Brad Pitt, if Brad you want to come yeah. on my podcast, Shout out to bro. Brad Pitt. You know, Let like, me know, brother. <laughs> look, but yeah, look, I mean, I, I, dude, I get it. Yeah, Tyler Durden is the coolest one in my books. But you're not supposed to want to be him according to Chuck P. Chuck P. 
I can't pronounce his last name, man. Who the hell is Chuck P? The, the author of, of the original Fight Club oh, novel. Yeah, Chuck Palhinok. <laughs> Chuck, look, uh, I, I don't I care. Skip you know, over don't, that. don't even edit it out. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out there in public and say I, I can't pronounce that guy's last name. I'm sorry. I wish I could. I just can't do it. I'm going to call him Chuck P. So yeah, look, Chucky P, you know, he officially goes on record to say that you're not supposed to resonate with Tyler Durden. Or like, or at the very least, Fight Club's a satire. It's, you know, Tyler Durden's supposed to represent something seductive. Dude, well, I just want to say, like, if they, if if we were not supposed to resonate with with Tyler Durden, why the hell did they pick Brad Pitt? The main <laughs> well, that's just interesting, yeah, because I don't know. If you compare the novel to the to the film, it gets uh-huh. different. Maybe the film adds levels of resonance to it. Mm-hmm. But I think you know, even if you're not supposed to resonate with him in the end, you're supposed to resonate with him to a point. Mm-hmm. Like there's supposed to be level of like, dude, it's Brad Pitt. He's cool. He's got the mad clothes. He's yeah. got the ch- charisma, the confidence. Mm-hmm. He's, he gets the ladies. He's you know, <laughs> he's doing what he wants to do. He's doing his thing. But uh, you know, I, I think that like with Brad Brad Pitt, some buddy hung up Brad Pitt now. <laughs> with bloody Tyler Durden, like at the end of it, you're supposed to sort of be revealed that he's he's a maniac. Mm-hmm. He's you know, he's unhinged. And I think with that in mind, you're supposed to think that okay, you're supposed to see that he's seductive. And that he has this sort of appeal to him, but fundamentally, there's something quite monstrous about the way that these sort of dark energies come out. But but on the yeah. other hand, it seems like all these characters have that dark energy, whether it's Joker, whether it's Tyler Durden, or whether it's like Drive. These are characters who do not fit into the socially accepted idea of what manhood is and what like modern society is, and I think that reflects an understanding of masculinity where it's like. It's like modern masculinity is somehow divorced from mm. society. And for, for whatever reason, and I'm not saying this is my view, I'm not saying this, you know, this is Giorgio's view, uh, but there's a lot of men on the internet who go like, you know, that guy's, that guy's like me. These characters, they are not... So whether it's like Blade Runner, I forgot the name of the main character in Blade Runner, but whether mm. it's him, whether it's Tyler Durden, Patrick Bateman, these are men who all in some way resist or fight against like social norms in a way mm. and, and, and it almost seems like men for whatever reason i'm not saying this is a good or bad they feel alienated from modern society because it's almost like masculinity or traditional pillars of masculinity which is like strength mm. well i mean a strength to, is a big one because that got replaced by a lot of machinery right so like you know what can the modern quote-unquote warrior which a lot of men elevate like you know uh, napoleon or like alexander the great what can that really do against a, a machine gun mm, right mm. so there's almost a sense that modern strength or male strength is like lost its its worth yeah that's a that's a fair point i mean you know you want to quote tyler Durden on that note you know it's like uh, he would say that you know we used to have a great war but our great war now is, is our lives. Also, oh, our Great Depression is our lives. Our Great War is a spiritual war. You know what, you're right. And I actually want to backtrack. I'm going to say, you know what? It isn't that we're not supposed to resonate with these characters. The characters are made knowing we're going to resonate with them. But we're not supposed to fundamentally, morally approve of their actions. Which is why this is so compelling. Mm-hmm. Which is, why I think, why we're talking about this. Because these characters are really cool. Not just as, like, in a fantastical way, but they, they represent something archetypally that's sort of happening in the collective unconscious for a lot of men where these these guys are seeing problems in you know problems that are there in the world and they're making very valiant you know sort of noble-minded attempts to to solve these problems but they're fundamentally misguided in a lot of ways i i haven't seen drive so i can't come on to the driver i don't know if he's also in that category but like i can say travis bickle i can say you know joker i can say tyler durden and you know Shadow the Hedgehog. <laughs> They're and all. I, I, I'll, I'll actually talk about Drive because to me, like. Wait, wait, wait let me finish. I was going say all those characters I mentioned. They're all, you know, they see problems in the world that are there, but they're misguided in their solution to it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so as you're going to say about Drive, like his moral morality. He, man, he's strange. Okay, so if anyone goes on to YouTube and types in like Drive soundtrack or like. What's that, you know, barely feeling human? What, what's that? Uh, real, real hero. Real hero, okay, whatever. If you go on YouTube and you type in that, that, that song, one of the top rated comments I found was at the end of the film, the Drive character, and I hope I'm not giving too much away, he basically, he tries to help the, the female that he's in love with, mm. that he has feelings for, but unfortunately the female has like another man that she has like a... Man, how do I say this? Uh, we're giving a spoilers. Basically, the female has a child with like another man who's... 
in jail for a lot of lot of the film, basically like a single mother almost. Mm. And at the end, drive or the driver tries to help the the female through like certain acts through driving. That's basically what he's really good at. And at the end of the film, however, he chooses his own life and he drives off in the sunset, like rejecting the female advance in a way because she goes to his door and he knocks and she knocks trying to find him but he's actually driving his car into the sunset and i saw so many comments on youtube saying like you know i felt that or that's Mm, me mm. and 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 i think the fact that so many men resonate with this idea of like having no relationship or having no stable woman no stable lady in their life i i really think that's like that's reflective of like the the tinder generation or like the 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 e dating generation mm, because mm. because like if you just look at the the numbers game of the e dating generation, you can like meet slash swipe slash like talk to like five hundred girls or or men it doesn't matter you know insert whatever gender you want in one day mm. and I think that that idea of like so many potential partners and yet no stable partner bleeds into whether it's Patrick Bateman you know even his relationships they're not really like they're not emotionally fulfilling they're actually quite yeah. like transactional I would say yeah so even in the case of these really charismatic characters like Bateman or, or Tyler Durden mm-hmm. like even if you do get really successful with you know acquiring s- you don't necessarily have meaningful connections mm-hmm. with other women I mean Marla Singer in, in, in Fight Club she is that meaningful? I, I mean, like, maybe to an maybe. extent, but the the but, meaning is more so connected to uh, Tyler Durden's alter ego. Sorry, spoilers for Fight Club. <laughs> You're gonna have to put that in front. We can't. Hey, spoilers. There's no way I can do this. There's no way I can do this podcast without spoiling Fight Club. I'm just saying it now. But like, yeah, like I think the meaningful connection is more so with. Well, I don't know. The split between the two parts of Tyler Durden, there is something meaningful, but there's something corrupted as well. Mm. Yeah, that's that's a thing. And. and- you know what, like, if you look at, like, if you compare the old stories of, like, heroes and men mm. who get represented in, in fiction or media or, or myth, like, Hercules and Gilgamesh, they have, they, like, a lot of times they end up with, like, a beautiful woman as, and I, I know this might be sexist, but as, quote-unquote, a reward for their deeds. Mm. Mm. Yet, whether it's Patrick Bateman or Tyler Durden or all these things, there is, there is no, like... At the end of the story, you close the book and they end up married with their partner. Like in many ways, I think Drive is the perfect example because he drives off in the sunset. Driver drives off in the sunset and he basically like quote unquote leaves his like romantic situation alone and he chooses individualism. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, if you if you go on any part of the Western internet, you will see so many men go like, you know, oh, that's me. Oh, I'm that guy. When it comes to the dri- driver or Blade Runner, you know, 2077. And I think they're such good, what's the word? Like, it's almost like they're tailor-made to be substitute for us for a few reasons. Firstly, Driver, the, the main protagonist of Drive, has no name, which I think is, is quite... Secondly, he's, he's very handsome, you know? Mm. He, he's handsome in like a everyday man handsome way. Mm. So he's not like a supermodel where he, his features look sort of strange. He's like the average guy plus plus 10 in aesthetics in every in every yeah category. yeah so like you know, oh totally yeah very, very deliberate and at the same time he's gorgeous he is mm. and at the same time like these guys have like certain traits which i think are, are quite like the driver i would just say the driver because like i watched that film recently he is you know handsome he's but he's also very skilled he's mm. got mastery over a domain which is his driving like his ability to drive like sets him apart from most men so there's this like desire to to want to you know be successful in in traditional masculine ways which is like you want i guess you want to be like i guess handsome at the same time you want to have like certain expertise but yet there's there seems to be this break in the emotional connection the romantic Mm, connection mm. let me let me me think about that for a second yeah that's that's definitely like a key point and I, i think that you know what we almost need to like sub split this archetype because they all get, they do get lumped together, and we've lumped them together. But there is actually a split here between the ones that have success, yet they're sort of shallow in a way. They have to, they have to sort of dissociate. Sorry, Patrick Bateman right? and Tyler Durden. 
Mm. Yeah, and then compare them to the ones who are more celibate, but they're they're more. I don't want to say they. I guess I do want to say pure-hearted, even if they are delusional. Because I'm thinking of like Driver mm-hmm. and Travis Bickle. Mm-hmm. And I, I can tell you that Travis Bickle, he's his heart's in the right place at, at the conscious level, but I think at some sort of like deep level, he's very perverse mm. in the way he goes about trying to do the right thing, and he's very confused. So, do do and you know? Okay, yeah. I'll say this to the audience: I haven't watched Taxi Driver, but do you think there's a real reinforcement? emphasize what's the right word and maybe this has always been part of the male psyche mm. but do you think there's a real um, integration of like the madonna slash complex oh bro big time that's like essentially it's the whole it's the whole premise of the of, of the story in a lot of ways i mean can i can i spoil taxi driver as well am i allowed to do that are we spoiling all these movies like how how <laughs> meaningfully can we discuss them without spoiling hey, the plot points you can give them the spoilers away. at the beginning of this podcast i'll just be like yo spoilers all right yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be a hell in editing room for you but you might <laughs> be like all right spoilers for this movie from this timestamp to this timestamp all right look i'm gonna spoil taxi driver okay in Taxi Driver, you know, Travis Bickle's a guy that's very unsuccessful with the ladies, right? He, you see him go on a date and he doesn't know, like, correct procedure. Like, he takes a girl out to see a movie. He's like, oh, I like this one. And it's a pornographic film. Uh-huh. And she's like, oh, you're a creep. And, you know, she runs away. And he, he literally doesn't understand what he did wrong. Like, I don't know what his deal is. I don't know why. But the point is, like, he is very socially awkward. Because he's very alienated from, like, New York City. It's full of crime. It's full of scum. And, you know, he just sort of sees the crime devastating the city and it upsets him. But in doing so, he causes a lot of bloodshed and violence and a lot of carnage. And that's where it's, the, the, the moral ambiguity is that Travis Bickle fundamentally does do a good thing, but there's a level of his own personal failings are motivating him to do it. Mm-hmm. And, and you know what I mean? Like, it's almost like he has a bad, he's got poor nutrition. It's, 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 it's like a key point in the film. Like you see him eating crappy food. You see him, uh, sort of he has these sort of like uh, he, he fails to stop a crime where he has a client in his taxi who says he's gonna go kill a guy and he just sort of lets it happen and he takes the guy's money you know and like he sort of it's implied that he's sort of like harboring guilt for that but he doesn't know how to process that and, like he's it's, it's, to speak of masculinity crisis he's sort of like he represents that other aspect of the masculine crisis of like being disconnected from one's emotions unable to properly process and understand one's own feelings and then you know, leading to doing something drastic as an attempt to solve a problem caused by excessive rumination over your emotions that you didn't deal with. And, and you know, something else that pops to my mind is for a lot of these characters, they misuse violence. Mm. There's oh, a yeah. misuse Huge. of violence. Like, Huge. like violence, you know, for better or worse, has always been part of the, the masculine idea. Mm. The masculine idea of like purposeful violence. Like, the, you know, Zelda, the person who's like slays evil, Right, Zelda's only uh, hero. Link. Oh, sorry. Sorry, <laughs> is it Link? Yeah, you're Link, right. Link's sorry. the guy. Zelda's sorry. the game. Yeah, 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 yeah. Link is only the hero because yeah. he he uses violence almost like a surgeon. Mm. He's very tactical yeah. in yeah. who he applies violence towards. Clear and dry. There's never any question exactly. about the uh, the validity of his actions. And on the other only hand, monsters. He only fights hand, monsters. On yeah. the other hand, whether it's Joker or whether you know, because I've actually watched Joker or I've actually watched Drive. These people use violence, and there's not a celebration of them really at the end of the film. Mm. Like, their violence happens, it's dark, it's gritty, but there's no fables created about them. It's almost like, it, it, it's almost like these characters, they, they use violence, but because there's none of the fanfare from past, you know, past myth, it, it, it's almost like the idea of modern masculinity and the exertion of violence has become corrupted or it's no longer like possible the idea of like <coughs> of like the man going out and, and you know i'm not saying this is a bad thing by the way the man going outside and like conquering nature or conquering the other conquering other people mm. has almost died and in that place modern men don't really know how to like don't have don't know how to like i guess navigate the, the new world so there is this like va- valorization there is this like elevation of violence but yet if you look at Drive, the guy kills like so many people because he's like in love with this girl and at the end he just drives away. There is no meaningful connection or celebration at the end of the film. That's a really cool point. And you know what? It almost makes me want to get into a chronology here because if you look at like, Taxi Driver is the first one out of all these films. It's the 70s. Taxi Driver is, he's got this level of nobility 
and there's a, ne- a level of like psychological, personal corruption and neurosis motivating the behavior. And ultimately he does a good thing, but he causes a lot of undue bloodshed along the way. And he does a lot of bad things too, as part of that. And he does other bad things, such as he tries to assassinate a politician, which has, you Damn. know. Yeah, dude, you gotta watch Tracks. Yeah, you'll, you'll, you'll love Taxi Driver, man. You don't even need to be in a mood. Just, <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Just <laughs> as soon as we turn this microphone off, you know, put it on. There's a few things like Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, like they're on my list. Oh I've, God, you're gonna get Scorsese De Niro, man. Dude, that whole combination. Dude, man, Scorsese, man. Hey, Scorsese, you want to come on the podcast? <laughs> Shout out to Scorsese, baby. Scorsese. Hit <laughs> me up, brother. <laughs> Let's get him money. Get him money. Oh my God. I was not saying. Sorry. The next, the next phase, right? That's the '70s. The '90s has a more. It's morally gray, but in a different way because you got Patrick Bateman, and you got is that that's 2000 American Psycho. It's yep. a book from the 80s, but yep. we're talking about the That's film correct. here. I think the yep. film is the... Because ca- it's different. And we, just, look, well, the not, thing is, like, we're not going to get into the book. Modern men, they don't know... Well, the book is the 90s, sorry. They don't know but, the book. That's yeah. the thing. So whatever the book is, modern men don't actually refer to it and they don't understand That's true. It. The memes aren't about the book. The memes are about the film. So we're not, we're not talking about the book. Same for Fight Club, actually. We're not talking about the Fight Club book. We're talking about the film for both. No, sir. And, uh, you know, Fight Club's 99. American Psycho's 2000. So this is a far removed era from Taxi Driver but it's still an era before Drive. And then even that is an era before Joker. And you know, Taxi, oh sorry. So Tyler Durden and Patrick Bateman are much darker characters. They're more seductive and you're supposed to sort of, they're ultimately the villains, even, you know, like Patrick Bateman's the villain protagonist. And I, I don't even think he's supposed to be like as appealing as beyond the fact that it's like, he's, the appeal of Patrick Bateman is being deconstructed from episode one or from, you know, from scene one, I should say. And Tyler Durden similarly is also like, he's a character that is, he's more ambiguous because you're supposed to find him really seductive to begin with. And, uh, you know, Chucky P is very uh, invested in, uh, I think he's got a lot of like, a lot to say about masculinity. And I think he's got a lot to, he's explored this concept for himself and explored, you know, sort of the lost aspect of masculinity very explicitly. Like Fight Club very explicitly deals with this kind of notion that you sort of brought it before. While American Psycho is just more so implied. It's just like, that just happens to be part of the world of, you know, this sort of Wall Street lizard world where you have to, you know, eat each other to survive, you know, but Drive, tell me if I'm wrong here, because I'm kind of just inferring based on cultural osmosis. He's kind of, he's more virtuous again as well. He's quite virtuous. Like he's a good guy at heart. Yes. And he does some bad things. He just uses violence in a way which I guess kind of makes him, you know what? There's a real emphasis on the anti-hero. You know, Mm. all these characters, they are like anti-heroes. They're not heroes in the traditional manner. And Patrick Bateman isn't though. Patrick Bateman's and and Tyler Durden. They're like they're villain protagonists. Well, what's Tyler the difference Durden's, between an antihero and a villain protagonist? An antihero is like a hero who has a level of darkness to them. Like fundamentally, their heart is good and they aim towards okay. doing virtuous fair things enough, and good things. Enough. But they need to crack skulls along the way. Mm-hmm. To put it this way, it's like if if you want to talk about like you know your Goku and your Sonic <laughs> and your Mario and these and Link and these sort of characters is just very cut and dry you know, sort of goody two-shoes heroes, well, then you have, you know, your Sonic has to come with a shadow as the anti-hero. You know, your Mario comes with a warrior. Your Link, well, Zelda doesn't have an equivalent. But you know what I mean? Like, I think anti-heroes imply a level of, they're still heroic at heart, mm-hmm. but they're, there's darkness to them. Mm-hmm. That, you know what? They can still be very virtuous. Like Batman, for example. Batman's mm-hmm. an anti-hero That's because true. he's quite neurotic and he's quite dark. And the new Batman film, depicting him as this sort of, like, guy who's got a lot of personal hang-ups which make him be a vigilante, mm-hmm. gives him more anti-hero status, even though he is very morally pure. And you, know? and you know what? Like, I've actually started seeing memes about, like, Robert Patterson, like, you know, oh, that guy's me. Or, like, I resonate with him. There's, mm. like... It, it really feels like the old myths of masculinity have been done away. And by the way, I'm not saying this is a good or a bad thing. I'm simply looking at this like, like a doctor. And I, I think this... You know what? If we're, if we're looking at, like, the dark side of masculinity... I think that can't be disconnected from like school shootings. Mm. I think school shootings are like very, very misguided men. Their attempts to recapture like violence in a sacred manner, or mm. as the American sense, uh, sacred violence. Basically, the idea that you apply violence to people who are deserving. So a lot of times, like these men will shoot like specific demographics or and when I mean demographics I'm not talking about racial I remember there was this guy Elliot Roger I mean this is really dark now but Elliot oh, yeah. Roger like he shot he shot Asian men 
because he was half Asian. I, I think he felt quite there was a resentment against that side, that as that side of him. And mm. he shot blonde girls because he saw them as like as like these figures of like, you know, Athenian Aphrodite figures who he was just so angry at. And and I think there is this like there is this misuse of violence in, mm. in both archetypes. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I mean Definitely. I think this is where the villain protagonist part comes in. Because the anti-hero can be seen as more virtuous. The villain protagonist is when a main character, well, I guess in Tyler Durden's case, the villain Deuteragonist, because, you know, Ed- Edward Norton, is, he's the protagonist. He's unnamed character in Fight Club. But, like, the villain protagonist compared to the anti-hero is essentially when a bad guy is the main character, and it's from their perspective. And in the case of Tyler Durden, you know, and, and in the case of Patrick Bateman, they're both very seductive very appealing characters to certain demographics who are watching these films and, and because of that you can confuse them for anti-heroes so this is where it's interesting because the villain you know like in a sense even if they are an anti-hero even if they have a pure heart and you know it doesn't necessarily make them I mean maybe they're a step above these villain protagonists but there's a level of darkness to their character that you know sort of like it is cor- like, I don't know it's it's, it's corrupted it's, it's corrupting their their feelings of virtue like there's there's so much blackness in their soul that these characters are just unable to like actually you know really connect with virtue even their attempts to do so are marred you know so like I, I can't speak the driver but I'll say like Travis Bickle he's failure with the ladies he's poor nutrition he's alienation in the city he lives in his own feelings of guilt you know these sort of like these impede him from being truly virtuous and his notion of virtue is uh, is reduced because of his inability to deal with his own other problems. Can I ask how much of this, how much of this like masculinity crisis, for better or worse, is dependent on the idea of women having more options romantically, and men not being able to deal with losing the family archetype? Like you own a farm, you have one wife, you have six children, like that idea is now taken away from the modern man how much of this is a reaction towards that idea because i feel like it's mm. quite a reaction i feel like it's quite yeah yeah you know idea. I, I think it is i think that's very important but can we put a pin in that to make one more point that i think will really because i think this will really tie it in let's go because we haven't really got into joker yet mm-hmm. we've analyzed the other characters we've got to analyze mm-hmm. joker mm-hmm. because joker is He's a very interesting blend of this villain protagonist and anti-hero. You know what I mean? And I think he actually could quite lead us to the answer to this question. Because um, Joker lives in a world of delusion. And he's an unreliable narrator. Can we spoil Joker in your podcast? Yeah. <laughs> Are we just spoiling them all? all right. Wonderful. All right, guys. You know, Spoilers for Joker in three, two, <laughs> one. Okay. So Joker is going through the film, you know, sort of like telling a story that's not really happening. In his mind, he's, you know, crazy and he's having a relationship with a woman who he's actually stalking. Mm-hmm. In his mind, he's relating to her, but it's really stalking. So as a film, we get to both see the anti-hero of the Joker. It's like, oh, he's doing his best, but he's living in this world of delusion. Where unlike, you know, people compare Joker to Taxi Driver a lot, but I guess that's kind of the big, the big difference. And whether you want to criticize it or praise it from an artistic point because of this, I will say that the Joker speaks to a world almost you know, 50 years in the future from Taxi Driver where it, it openly acknowledges the delusion and it openly makes us call into question how much of a hero, or, sorry, anti-hero or a villain protagonist Joker is because Joker has had a hard life. Arthur Fleck, the Joker, has had it bad and it makes it really satisfying to watch him become the Joker to see him get his revenge on his enemies, to see him get back at everyone who's, uh, you know, scorned him is really satisfying to watch on the screen, you know, and... So are you saying that modern men feel like the world is stacked against them, against them, whether it's like feminism or whether it's like other movements like, I don't know, Black Lives Matter, whatever it yeah, is, like, yeah, it deconstructs yeah, yeah. the yeah. myth of the white male because all, mm, because mm. I think that's important. These are not just The like, whiteness of them? Yeah. I think the fact that these are not just like men, like for example, there's no black men amongst these, mm. amongst these prothora of men. They're all like 28, 29 year old white men who for so, I'm assuming, actually Joker's a little older, Arthur Fleck's a little older, but I think the fact that they are white is important. And I'll say one more thing before I throw it to you. 
I was mm. listening to this guy who was talking about, I think Chris Hedges or something like that. He was talking about like the, when you become, what's it called? The uh, midlife crisis. That, yeah. There you go. And he was saying that like white men in America constantly get midlife crisis, but black men don't. Because mm. black men have never expected to be successful. America has set up in a way that like, unless they're a rapper or they're a basketball player, mm. they don't feel like they're successful. So when they hit 45, they're like, you know what? I'm alive. I'm pretty good. But yeah. if you're a white man and, and you're in America and you're not Elon Musk or something, there, there's a sense that like you're entitled. And now, okay, once again, I'm not sure if this is true or whether this is you know factual, but I really do think like the fact that these are white men who feel alienated and like use violence to recapture some sort of glory. Like, I think there are links to school shooting. Mm. Yeah, okay. I mean, that's that's interesting. Like, I think, yeah, the expectation that everything should be fine, yeah, leads leads to making it harder to not getting that. Like, oh, it makes, makes it harder for you to sort of, like, to cop it on the chin when you don't get everything you think you're going to get. You don't get the American dream or, you know, just, like, whatever you believe. You White know, life defense, is supposed to give you... Yeah, yeah, the classic thing, yeah. Nice yeah, yeah. suburban home in... Oh, I don't know. I'm Australian. I don't know what. <laughs> I don't know where the Americans want to want to live. I don't know, but I I do know like the the rough the, the general vibe of the thing. And it's like you said, yeah, it's that whole picket fence, beautiful wife, the kids, this, that, and the other. And seeing alienation from that is yeah, because it's not you know it's not the true it's not not getting that that hurts. It's expecting that and really profoundly thinking I'm going to get this and not get it that hurts. So entitlement, like you said, that's an interesting point. Because this is where it gets really hard. This is where it gets really morally weird. Is that Joker and, you know, Joker is the incel hero quite openly. You know, he's the incel anti-hero slash villain protagonist. And, and that's the thing. Like, even for me to call him, you know, to, to morally deem him a villain protagonist, which I, that's how I feel. I'm like, no, nah, he's, he's wrong. He's moral, his morality's wrong. He's sympathetic. You know, he's had hard, hard stuff happen to him, but, you know, he's wrong. What he's doing is wrong. For me to say that, there's going to be people out there who would hear me say that or have probably heard this before and say, no, you don't understand. You have normie privilege. You have mm-hmm. whatever, so-and-so privilege. Like, you're a normal person. You don't understand. You're not in the gaps. Mm-hmm. And that's hard for me to argue against. Mm-hmm. I can't really intellectually argue against them because here's the thing. I still think it's immoral. Oh, I, no, I agree. That's what I feel, you know, like, you know, and like, this is where it's hard because it is immoral. It is wrong at, you know, like, it's very hard to argue that it's right. But these people, they need sex. They need intimacy. They need connection. And they're not getting it. And they don't believe it's possible to get it. And, you know, there's like a meme on the, on the R9 keyboard on 4chan of like, you know, and this is, this is relevant. R9K is like the board of like people with really bad social issues and they, you know, usually it's, you know, guys, usually younger guys struggling with the ladies and feeling alien. It's, it's an incel breeding ground, essentially. It's incel, yeah. Incel breeding ground. It's kind of one of the OG incel spaces. And, you know, like they, there's this idea of like people come to them and they say, just be confident, bro. You gotta be confident. It's, it's true. If you're confident and you have good energy, you will feel better. But at the same time, like they's like, dude, confidence doesn't come out of nowhere. Like you slowly recognize... Or so you slowly get positive reinforcement and you, you're able to develop it. And, you know, it's, there's no way to actually tell these people that they're wrong and to tell them they need to be confident without them feeling like they're being condescended to. Mm-hmm. Look, and I'm not saying this to sort of justify their behavior, obviously. I, I don't need to give the moral prefix. Obviously, going around killing, women, killing people, you know, hating women, you know. <laughs> killing women because you hate them you know come on bro <laughs> it's, come on dude yeah, yeah you gotta get your you gotta pull your head out of your ass come right? on man <laughs> yeah don't do it man it's not dude. good you don't, you don't need to be a, a bloody you know moral philosopher to figure out that's a bad move you know I don't need to, I don't need to make that case but I will say that it's like for them just subjectively how do you actually reach them how are we able to tell them and like the Joker as a character he represents this mm-hmm. he represents this sort of like you know, he was ridden. It's like, oh, he's supposed to be a total monster. And Yaki... I can't say his first name. I'm just going to call him Jay Phoenix. I'm just going to call him the Joker um, Phoenix. 
Jacquan. Jacquan. Is it Jacquan? You know, whatever. You know what? I've All right, so Jay Phoenix. <laughs> J-Boy. Yeah. J-Dog. J-P. You know, he reckons, he says, nah, the Joker, I'm, I played him because unlikable is unrelatable as possible. And I'm like, you know what I mean? Even that says, dude, you're a movie star. Of course you feel that way. Mm-hmm. You don't even see how relatable your character is. He literally can't see it. Mm-hmm. There's incels out there who watch it and go, yes, finally, a movie showing what I'm going through. And, and, and you know, actually on the point... It's like, J-JP has all the... The P he wants, you know what I mean. He doesn't need to. There's no way he could ever understand the Joker. He could never understand him. And, and, and you know, actually, on that point, there are two things I want to say. So, firstly, there was this image that went around. So, Black Panther came out. Black Panther, yeah, that's the film. Came out like a few months beforehand, and this person wrote like, and I, and that's why I think it, it can't be divorced from whiteness in the Western internet meme culture, mm. because you know a majority of like. You know, people who use the internet in the Western and use English, like, you know, they are white. And mm. they're usually men as well. Hi, I just want to stress that being an incel is not biologically related with being white, but rather it's based off the feelings of entitlement of those in power. For example, this means in Korean online spaces, incel ideology would be linked with being Korean since immigrants and refugees probably wouldn't feel the same sense of entitlement to women or relationships. But because the internet is largely dominated by American culture, this means the sense of entitlement from whiteness is more commonly on display due purely to economic and historical reasons rather than any biological factor. He, this guy wrote like, like you know when the Joker came out I finally felt why black people were so proud of Black Panther <laughs> yeah, which is ridiculous oh Jesus and, and yeah, man that's... come on bro and second thing oh my god yeah man oh man that's rough and second thing just to talk about like the worldview and how you said like it's really hard to get incels out of that worldview I saw this image and I don't think it's ironic you know possibly it could be ironic because of the the anonymous nature of the internet but this person said like you know men who like who have like he basically said like you, know, you would never understand I have like a really thin wrist like I'll never be attractive my the thinness of my wrist makes me like undateable mm. and you know as someone who's not an incel I look at that and I'm like come on dude yeah <laughs> like come on bro like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah what yeah. kind of world are you living in but, mm. but the thing is this is not an intellectual argument which is mm. why these characters are emotionally so fulfilling towards these men because mm. this is what they represent. They represent attractiveness. A lot of them, like I mean, Patrick Bateman, for example, is beautiful. They represent someone who's alienated from society, who, like, in many ways, works against the modern understanding of like a successful man. So you know, a, a man with like maybe Patrick Bateman isn't the best example of this, but the other ones, you know, they're not millionaires. They don't have big contracts. They don't have huge houses and. It's almost like a valorization of the everyday man who has slipped through the cracks. Yeah, I, I think you're right. It definitely... Well, that's what's interesting because none of them are every man in their attitude, but there's something relatable to the every man. Like, they're all extreme cases. They're all very isolated. They've all had trauma. They all had situations that have sort of made them become who they are. And, you know, you can't... The closest ones when every man is... Oh, is I was going to say Edward Norton's character who's a contrast to mm-hmm. Tyler Durden mm-hmm. because obviously spoilers for Fight Club you know you can't separate the two they're the same person due to a psychological split but I think yeah look they're relatable to the every man in that everyone can see a little bit of themselves in them to a certain extent and I think well I don't, I don't know people don't want to admit that you know like Jay Phoenix he doesn't want to say it I don't know like maybe maybe it's really hard for him because he's the actor of it he's sort of sort of stay politically clean with that one but you know these characters are relatable to a certain extent and even if you really hate what they represent and you really find them like you know dangerous from like a utilitarian point of view it's hard to like earnestly deny that they represent something very real and they're very like effective and successful representations of this alienation happening within the consciousness of people of a, a very male I should say specifically it's a very male type of alienation you know there's a whole Sure, there's female alienation characters, but we're not we're not getting into that. Yeah. <laughs> right, that's a whole other topic. Sorry, girls. Sorry, ladies. <laughs> this one's for the fellas. <laughs> you know, but yeah, look, I think yeah, I think this feeling that you can relate them as a normal person, that's what's that's what's really interesting because they're extreme cases which allow you enough distance 
so that they're not too confronting. Mm-hmm. You know, you can sort of like, they're these extreme cases to allow for your psychodrama, so to speak. And consider psychodrama is, you know, it's the play that's going on in your head, you know. And even if you're like a mostly functional human being and you're not going to be a school shooter, you're not going to go Joker mode, you're not going to go Travis Bickle mode, Bateman mode, whatever. You know, at some level, these characters represent extreme caricatures of energies that are niggling within your mind to a certain extent. Could be a little bit, could be a lot, could be a moderate amount. That's not for me to say, that's for you to say. And then once you've sort of like resonated with this character, you're afforded a chance to project this drama within your mind onto them. They're the actors who lead the play, that lead the psychodrama. They sort of star in it, you know? And I think that's why, like you're saying, they resonate with the average person, even though they're not average unto themselves. Or they, you know, for the most part, they're not really average. They're kind of these weird, exceptional people who are really talented and really skillful. But that also adds to the psychodrama. Like, I have these talents, I have these things. They're just not recognized for what Yeah, I'm not being recognized. I'm not getting the recognition I deserve. Exactly. I deserve deserve this and I'm not getting that recognition. Mm, mm. And you know what's also interesting is the female characters of Rebellion... They very rarely use violence. So, for mm. example, Jane Joan of Arc mm. is not seen as an aspirational figure. There is no, there there aren't women uh, women boards where they go like, "Oh, that's me." But yet, like Pride and Prejudice, the woman who, the the idea of like the not really an incel woman, but the woman who resists does not use violence to do so. They simply turn down social expectations, but not in a violent way. Mm. And that is missing from the male archetype. Yeah, there's an inherent need for violence or an inherent like, a desire for violence that sort of comes out in these characters. You know what? I want to go back to the original because now that you mentioned like, Joan of Arc, I'm like, you know who the original like, alienated male is here? Or maybe, I don't know. Uh, at least in my Hamlet? view. Hamlet? Nah, he's... He's nah. pretty alienated. He is, but in a different way. Brooding, he doesn't. He doesn't do anything wrong. Way. He doesn't do anything wrong. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't do anything. That's his problem. He's a. He's a little <laughs> bitch. <laughs> he's got the opposite problem. You know, these guys are too hasty. Okay. He's not hasty enough. I'm gonna say, Paradise Lost's depiction of Satan Ooh. by John Milton, the epic poem. Great stuff. But I, he wasn't supposed to be this. At least you know, not according to the way Milton could officially express. Like this is Satan, and you're writing a retelling of the Genesis story. You can't depict him as a good guy. But a lot of romantics, you know, in the romantic era, started to reimagine Satan here as like a tragic anti-hero, where he rebelled against God because God was tyrannical, because Satan is a no. Being number two, it sucks. I hate it. I want to, you know, I deserve the highest of the high, and I deserve goodness. And where, you know, a lot of these romantics resonated with Satan's anger and with Satan's rebellion, and they found that God's punishment of him was like unjust and unfair. But that's the thing. In a lot of ways, if you look at these modern characters in that light, I can't personally help but but see the connections to antiquity. There's definitely modern iterations. You know, pa- Travis Bickle sees the degeneracy of 70s New York. You know, Joker speaks to the modern incels. But there's something more, you know, and you could say, oh, well, you know, the world has changed, masculinity has changed, men have lost their purpose. But you go further and further back and... At the real core of it, and whether or not the filmmakers wanted to depict this or not, you know, this is me speaking here. I think that these films, well, you know, they they depict moral degeneracy, and you know, it's not that's 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 what's so great about them. They show how degeneracy happens, how people can decay and entropy, and how their souls can be brought to rot by uh, by the darkness within itself, you know, and just festering from the inside out. And Satan's the original. Because he is seductive. He's depicted beautifully. If you look at Gustav Dorr's paintings of Satan, the laptop we're recording this on now has, you know, stickers of this guy. Like, you know, even I, I, I'm seduced by the depiction of him. Wow, that sounds... That's that's really weird. That's a weird thing to say. Look, Georgia incel confirmed. (laughs) Incel confirmed. You know, gay for Satan. You know, hey man, I'll cop it, I'll cop it. But look, look, for real though, like, Satan in Paradise Lost is... A really seductive character he's a really interesting character and god's really cold you know he's really uh, he's depicted as a sort of like hey i know what's right this is what's right and john milton you know again he officially made it out as if well no god is right because he's he's god 
but you know like Satan, you know, was reimagined by the romantics and hey, maybe even within sort of the dreams or the the images to himself that John Milton wouldn't admit, Satan is this sort of sympathetic character to a certain extent. And he's seductive because There's no way Milton can argue that Satan wasn't like supposed to be somewhat sympathetic. Oh no, he would argue that. But if we had him here right now, like we, well, we time travel John Milton yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hey, Milton, come on the podcast. <laughs> Shout out to John Milton. <laughs> well, you know, he's... Yeah, look, I mean, that's the thing. Like, yeah, Satan in that in that poem, man, like, you know, he, he gives such beautiful speeches and he knows of his own hell as well, which I guess is part of John Milton consciously saying, hey, he's not the good guy here. But, you know, you feel for him. And he, he does horrible things, you know, spoiler for, oh God, for Paradise Lost, right? <laughs> you know, like he seduces, you know, spoiler for the book of Genesis, you know, like, you know, he's... Spoilers for Christianity. <laughs> yeah, for, yeah, the most major religion of the Western world. Oh my God. You know, he seduces Adam and Eve to, to you know, seduces Eve to bite of the fruit and then, you know, of, of knowledge, which God says not to bite, which will get her evicted from the Garden of Eden. And then naturally, you know, Adam does the same because he loves his lady, wants to chase her. And so he gets him out of there and it doesn't bring Satan any joy. He, you know, he doesn't really get anything out of it. He just, you know, he tries to cause trouble and he impotently kind of flails around because, hey man, you're going up against God. <laughs> you're not going to win. You know, he's God, man. He's got an army of everything. And I think there's a romanticization of like the failure. Mm. Like the flailing against the omnipotent flying against society so whether it's any of the modern characters we, we talked about they f- they go against society they're unable to change society and yet their desire to often which coincides with violence is romanticized in some element and yeah you, you know what maybe this is a age-old archetype maybe this is an idea of masculinity which is always which has always persisted but i think it is telling and it is interesting that a lot of these ideas of what like the isolated men are or men is they often resort to violence and i really think that's that's like a real dark side of masculinity there's Mm. this idea of like i need to use violence in order to shape the world in my image yeah dude i mean 100% 100% man it's definitely how it manifests in the male case and I mean Satan is male but you know he's depicted as I mean, at the end of the day he's like you know it's, it's Satan he's kind of an ethereal being he's not really a man of the earth he's like Griffith so much. yeah exactly he's quite beautiful he's quite androgynous as well but I, I think that I think that with the masculinity crisis, I almost think that's something being sort of grafted like that's like a next level of this I think at a real core level these characters represent moral failure and and the inability to sort of truly be aligned with virtue or how one's sense of what they believe to be virtuous can be corrupted by their own personal failings and then you know obviously because a lot of these other film characters we discussed not including satan in paradise lost is they're all you know these are all sort of more modern and these are all tied up with our modern world which i guess just to take a different angle in the conversation here as well. Like I, I tend to believe this is how we know that these characters, you know, they're not in the right ultimately. And I, I think that, you know, like their, their actions can ultimately be broken down to pathological, you know, sort of impulses that stop them from truly seeing what the right thing to do is. And, you know, I don't think you need to be a moral absolutist to agree with me on that one. Like, I I think, you know, I I think it's like, even if you can sympathize with them and you can empathize with them and you can profoundly feel for the struggle of these characters and not necessarily judge them and condemn them as as sinners or what have you. Like, I'm not sitting here talking about the evils of Satan to try and, you know, (laughs) bloody put Christian morality onto the listeners. I, I assure you, that's not my intention. But like, I think that goodness, you know, and I don't know, maybe maybe I can't make that word unloaded. I think that goodness is quite intuitive in a lot of ways. And I think a lot of these characters are alienated from that. But hey, I, to return back to what you were saying well, so, so about masculinity. Can, can I actually t- touch on that topic? Yeah, are, sure. Are you saying that like goodness that is loaded or fueled by self-anxiety or self-doubt or like insecurity is not inherently goodness because it comes from a place of darkness? Yeah, definitely. I, look, I think this darkness is inherent and I think people should confront it and I'm not saying one should turn towards the light to ignore the darkness, but by no means at all. You know, I, I, I've got very... It's very important 
I believe, for people to confront darkness and to, to have a really profound relationship with it. But to revel within it is it's a dangerous game and you can only play it for so long before you know you sort of start to get more than you bargained for. That's the thing about the morality of these characters is that fundamentally they're grey at the best and they're just, you know, very obviously misguided at the worst. But, you know, I think that, you know, it's like you were saying earlier about their sort of sense of entitlement to what they believe they should have. That's the source of their problem. Like, I think it all does happen from within. There are external factors which do lead to their causes, you know. Like, it leads to the causes. Like, you can say, okay, Joker got, is the ultimate kicked puppy. He had it worse than anyone. You know, two wrongs don't make a right. You know, and I, I think that's where I'm going to be a bit goody two shoes here about this. I think these antiheroes and these, you know, sort of villain protagonists, at, at a moral level, there, there is a level of moral failure that, mm. that can't be denied. 100%. Regardless of what's happening in society. That is, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying, oh, yeah, you got to start on the right thing. I guess from, from that, with that in mind, I think then I, I, I'm happy to like look into, yeah, okay, what is the actual crisis? What is happening in the external world? How, what can we do to alleviate that? But I think it's important for people to have personal responsibility of themselves, regardless of how bad things get, because things can always get bad and things can always be good. But uh, you know, if you're, it's up to you to choose whether or not you're going to be a monster. Uh, that's your responsibility, and your, as in, in quite a literal sense, your ability to respond to situations, whatever you know, life presents to you. I think that's beautiful, man. <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah. Thanks. I mean, I don't know. Dude, that's fantastic. I, I, believe, I believe it. I believe it, man. I'm a big believer in self will and, and individualism as well. And, uh, dude, men, come on, man. Stop eating the protein yogurt. <laughs> come on, kiss your mom. Kiss your dad on the cheek. <laughs> that's, that's, that. Dude, this is where it gets weird and meta. Because maybe this is part of the problem. Maybe us saying stuff like that, we're like, oh, dude, you gotta be better. You gotta be uh, moral. You know what? Fair that's enough. why. Imagine being told you gotta be better and you're not able to be better. And you're like, well, maybe I don't want to be good. That's why I'm going to choose turn to the dark side. Mm. So, hey, I can recognize, you know, I'm playing into the, I'm part of the problem by being a, you know, <laughs> self-righteous douchebag about it. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I didn't mean to do that. But, hey, man. Guys, yeah. I love you. Every, whatever you're doing. Yeah, look, much love. And you know what? I want to end this podcast with this quote from Fight Club. It's actually at the beginning of the film. And, mm. and I think it just captures the alienation in a way which, to me, very few quote does. And the, the main character of Fight Club, he's flipping through an Ikea booklet or something like that, like a mm. furniture booklet. And the quote is, I flip through this booklet and I look at different furnitures to see which one best represents me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so, hey, man, Giorgio, thank you for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Pleasure as always. Hey, dude. Can you? I was thinking of what song to end this with. Oh, yeah, right on. What do you want to hear? Violet Lights. After all this talk of Peace. <laughs> if you like this short snippet of Violet Light, then please check out Giorgio's other projects at Pyramid Mission on Instagram, Spotify, and Facebook. I can't believe he routinely volunteers to come onto my podcast to spread wisdom without charging me. So check him out. Thank you for tuning into Safety Lost with Stanley Ching. If you enjoyed this, then please leave a rating or a comment. I hope you're leaving with a new idea and make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and other places that can be found in the description.